could be called a false start. But I mean, let's, I think that my my bigger point of this game was I was just I, I'm always mad when the consistency isn't there, and it wasn't there for some for most things that was up until the last two minutes. And just when it wasn't, I was just really mad about that. But I mean, it is what it is. You know what's crazy about this game? Highest rated NFL game viewer wise in six years. Yeah, but like, what were the last ones? I think, I mean, obviously, the Patrick Mahomes actually, yeah, well, it was Brady Mahomes, just super interesting. The Mahomes Niners are super interesting. I have a very, very simple theory on why this game was that highly rated. Because people were bored? No, in COVID times, people don't want to go out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah no, no, yeah. I was going to say because of COVID stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Still, I wonder I how last very, year's was. Very compelling game. Oh, yeah. last year's, I'm sure, was. Who. The, Honestly, I don't remember much about last year's game at all. I'm, oh, it was a great game because it was like this this battle that the Buccaneers defense totally dominated. No, but and I don't remember your... like a standout play. Like I I remember Leonard Fournette just being awesome. But you don't you don't remember that play that like literally Joe Burrow was falling down and they flicked the ball into the end zone and it went through his receiver's hands and hit his hit his receiver in the face mask. And if he caught that, they probably would have won the game. Mahomes, you said Joe Burrow. I was Did really confused Joe for Burrow? half a second. Oh, oh, yeah. I like the Bengals O line right now. <laughs> the Bengals. <O-line. laughs> yeah, that was a that was a bit of a rough start for them, honestly. Oh but yeah, uh, let's let's start talking about this game. It started off. I was surprised at how tempered it was in terms of the defenses. I think both defenses came to play, and I was just as like a threat of the whole game. I was surprised at how often the Bengals defense was able to stop the Rams. I mean, here's I think, the, the the thing with the Rams is I feel like the entire season, they'll make the plays that matter when they need to be made. So they can coast for three quarters, have 14 points, settling for field goals. And when it comes time for a big play to be made, they just reduce the playbook, go into their spread offense. And it's just Cooper Cup, Matt Stafford every single time. Yeah. I mean, if Cooper Cup got injured, that it would that comeback would not have happened. and. But, I mean, first off, shout out to OBJ. You're going to have to do surgery again. Second torn ACL in, I think, two and a half years now. So it's going to be a rough road to recovery. But he has his ring. And I think he definitely had that beautiful touchdown in the first half that, that you know, he'll go down as a Super Bowl champion. And to him, that to his legacy, to all the people that have consistently, you know, all, all the talking heads and personalities on all, all the sports talk shows and even on Twitter that have decided, yeah, this guy's a problem. He's not a problem. He's a great receiver. He brings so much to a team. I think when he wants to be somewhere and they want him there as well, then the situation's good like it is in LA. Yeah. In the rant, like in, uh, sorry, in Cleveland, that situation was not for him. So a couple of things about OBJ. I think, like you said, obviously not a problem. And I think for him, his talent is that of a number one receiver. And the fact that he was slotted as the the second guy to Cooper Cup, such a matchup problem for defenses. Because you're dealing with a guy who's one of the best route runners in football, has some of the best hands in football, elite speed, strength, everything you need in a wide receiver. And he's not even the primary option. So who who's to know what the score would have been if Odell had stayed healthy that whole game? But another thing, I think he's just in a better place mentally now that with this injury... He can kind of take his time coming back. There's no pressure, no expectations of him being anything when he comes back. I think with Cleveland, there was a little too much of that. 
just based on his reputation from the New York Giants. So I, I think he's just going to come back and just be very comfortable in the role that he's in, which I don't think we could have said two years ago. If they can keep this team together and somehow get OBJ and Robert Woods recovered from their oh. ACL oh my God. injuries, then OBJ is the third receiver on this team. Because it's, it's so... like. Robert Woods plays such an important role to the way this that this offense is built mm-hmm. and the way the McVay offense is built, which is the things he can do. That like just objectively, OBJ would be the third option, and that's crazy to me that OBJ would be a third option on any team. I I think but, they might just flip flop. There'd be days where Woods is getting the attention from the team's second best cornerback, and Odell is just. I on mean, fire I'm talking about in terms routes. of usage, right? Because Woods on in terms of the blocking ability he has. And then even even plays he can make through the backfield, right? Just like mm-hmm. he is able to to take command of being the number one and number two receiver on specifically this Rams team, given the way they construct their offense. That's what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. From he's a just matchup been a, standpoint, he, he's been a mainstay in the offense for so long that he's just yeah. de facto the number two guy. But yeah, we, I mean, yeah, from it's off, just a yeah. luxury for them to have both those guys. Exactly. But one thing that was evident for me from the beginning of this game, and I think it was a problem that. We all knew going in was the Bengals' offensive line, right? It, it, Garbage. It, yeah. It, I mean, the Rams' defensive line is one of the best in the NFL. You have Aaron Donald, right? And then you also have Vaughn Miller. So those two guys can blow up anything. But just um, there, there's a stat. I think it's the Bengals finished with an 18% pass block win rate, which is so by 14. far the worst. No, it's 18. It was, it, it was corrected. They corrected it? Yeah. Wow, good job, Bengals. Yeah, it was actually 18%. So uh, by far the worst at any game this season by any team. Uh, I, I guess conversely, you can say that the Rams won 82% of their pass rushes, which is the best. But I think that's more of an indictment of how bad the Bengals' offensive line is compared to how good the the Rams' defensive line is. And it just, I mean, also another stat for you here. If you add up the regular and postseason in terms of the games, Joe Burrow got sacked 70 times. So uh, that's pretty crazy. Those those two stats alone just show you how incredibly terrible and consistently bad. It's not like it was one game. It was consistency. right? And we saw this from the first playoff game against the Titans where Joe Burrow was... I, I honestly don't know watching this game how... I mean, I do know because... The, imagine the Chiefs had a decent, offense, or de- decent defensive line. I don't think the Chiefs would have lost that game. I think the Chiefs lost that game because one of the most generational quarterbacks in the history of our league just had an unusual, an unusual meltdown. Like, I've never seen... They got to the goal line, and Romo... I we probably talked about this on a different pod, but Romo was talking about different ways that Mahomes could ice the game out, like, draw the clock down to under 10 seconds, then think about scoring. Don't give um, Joe Burrow and the Bengals any more time, but then sack... Sack, forced fumble, but I, recovery, I feel like, I feel field like goal. All of the playoff games, right, that the Bengals played leading up to the playoffs, or leading up to the Super Bowl, sorry. The the Chiefs game is the only one where I felt like he didn't have an issue in terms of time in the pocket, right? The Titans was obviously an issue. The The Raiders itself in, in that wild card, Max Crosby, Max Crosby definitely like made it a little bit difficult for him. He put some pressure in that game. Yeah, like I think... Just, just thinking. I mean, I'll, I'll, we're gonna talk about how bad this Bengals offensive line is, but just thinking in my head, if the Chiefs' defensive line was better, they probably would have been in the Super Bowl right now. I still Which, think the defensive line or not, like whether you gave Burrow time in, the, in that game or not, the Chiefs should have won that football game. And I think the have, Bengals, but... 
the Bengals had one of those weird New York Giants types of runs where they could have lost every single playoff game they were a part of. And they almost won every single one they were a part of too. So they, Meaning they barely won every single game and they almost lost every game. I meant to say that like they barely won every single game and then they almost won this last game too. So Yes. Yeah. But, Anyways, yeah. tough offensive line performance for the Bengals. Um, that has to be the focus in the upcoming draft. Like, yeah, they need to draft five offensive linemen. And then draft, just like, draft five on offensive linemen. Every free agent you sign better be a right guard, left line. guard, center. <laughs> Replace the whole unit. I don't care. It has to I mean, change. Think about you what the Chargers did. Chargers had a really good offensive line rebuild. And I think last season was the season to do it. And like what we drafted Rayshon Slater and then got Corey Lindsley, right? And then hopefully going to get rid of Brian Balaga, but then. Even Ode Obache, like the only the only weakness is like the the the, the right tackle with Storm Norton for the Chargers. So I was just really like, I thought that like you know those I thought the Chargers and 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 the the, the Bengals were kind of in similar places. You know, like you have your generational QB, right? Okay, now let's build the line around him to protect him, so that like you know we we have the options. And I think, you know, you had T Higgins, so you don't have the wide receiving core the Chargers have. Like so obviously Jamar Chase. I'm not going to say it was a bad decision because the chemistry he has with, with Joe Burrow is undeniable. And obviously, I think Jamar Chase is a generational wide receiver. But that's not to say that you couldn't have also drafted a generational like offensive lineman this time. Because if you wanted to, you could have traded up and gotten Slater, gotten Penai Sewell. Like, there was two guys that I think will be in the NFL for 10 to 15 years and be some of the best offensive linemen in there. And then even, like, let's say you didn't draft an offensive lineman there's the, there's the off season right you got to spend some money in protection but they didn't and it definitely came to 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 bite them in in the rear end so i mean i'll say this like i think getting your quarterback and making sure your quarterback's happy comes first and then you build the line around him drafting yeah, i don't chase think was, joe burrow i don't think joe burrow was happy getting sacked 70 times this season no 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 but drafting jamar chase was the necessary thing to do especially yeah, for no, these I small understand. market teams yeah, I understand. It's just it kind of sucks that like it was an easily fixable problem that just wasn't fixed. But I mean, I mean Jamar Chase. Time. They they were three and thirteen last season, and they made a Super Bowl run this season. Like I think with every rebuild, there's some expectation of a gradual change in terms of becoming relevant. This just happened so quickly, and it was in spite of the fact that they had, by every metric, the last ranked offensive line in the league. So. I think it's there's a very clear path to maintaining this level of elite play for the Bengals. And usually with a team that's lost in the Super Bowl, it doesn't have that clarity going into the mm -hmm. next season. But I think the Bengals are young. I think they have a chance to keep being a powerhouse team in the AFC as long as they address this elementary issue. No, I 100% agree. And I'm very curious to see how this next year's draft is going to unfold because I don't think the offensive line talent is necessarily as deep i just think this draft is a really weak draft i know we're looking ahead a little bit but i think this draft is important for the bengals right i think this draft mm -hmm. is just super weak for them so i mean i think they'll have better opinion, but... better luck in free agency for sure yeah um but, but anyways I, mean, I think that's enough offensive line talk because i'm getting bored talking about the offensive line i mean i feel like me and you could have honestly played in that game and achieved 18 percent pass block win rate don't you think uh yeah sure i could have blocked Aaron donald 18 of all 100 times. You know, the totally, pulling, no, you know pulling totally the chair in basketball? 
pulling the chair. You know that when like someone really strong is posting you up and you just kind of let them go and they don't realize yeah, that but there's just no one there anymore. Aaron Donald's running towards you, not like his his back isn't towards you. So like he can see everything that's going on. You can't pull a chair if someone's facing you. I would pull the chair on Aaron Donald. Yeah, and you would fall down and he would sack Joe Burrow, okay? That's exactly what would happen. So nothing changes. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. We could play offensive line for the Bengals. Anyways, there were a lot of other different fun aspects of this game to monitor. Um, refereeing was one of them. Uh, Bill Barnwell tweeted, There's a little contact there. As Jalen Ramsey's head is turned 180 degrees by a face mask. What did you think of that play? Ultimately, I think it evened out in terms of the officiating, but that was one of the worst missed calls I have ever seen in a big yeah, game. Yeah, so obviously should have been a face mask, but I'm just mad about, I mean, I always say this, if just if you're consistent, I don't care, right? And you can't start calling holding calls and pass interference calls on the last drive of the game just for one team. It just doesn't make any sense, right? We've seen this several times this year where... The game is called a certain way up until the very end of the game, and then they suddenly become a lot more stringent. It just doesn't make any sense. If you're going to be consistent, be consistent. I'm fine with the no call because the rest of the game, up until the last three, four minutes of the game, felt like it was like that, where it was going to be a physical game, and whatever happens, happens. right? And I totally feel like if you know Eli Apple got the same treatment by Cooper Cup, it wouldn't have been called, right? So... I, I think my, want... my issue is more with, and you're right, like the consistency matters. My issue isn't with those holding calls and the PI calls because I think those were called correctly. It was the Rams offensive line not being called for false starts on that last drive. And there were so many. Emmanuel it wasn't Ocho. just, it wasn't just this, this Rams, this game. It was, I felt throughout the season watching the NFL, I felt so many times just while I was like, oh, this is easily a false start. And it was just never called. Even the Chargers. Many times I'd be watching the Chargers and I'd be like, oh man, false start. This wasn't called. I just they don't think the NFL emphasized the false start. And maybe the referees were just told to be lax on it. I don't know. I remember seeing, like, there's lots of videos on YouTube, maybe 2018, 2019, where it was like, oh, the Packers' secret weapon is the always false start. It's like the consistently jump right before mm-hmm. uh, Aaron Rodgers is, 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 is going to call, you know. Is gonna, gonna gonna snap the ball and like I felt like I was watching that video that I watched like a couple years ago of like one team doing it that was an anomaly. Maybe the rest of the whole league figured out like, hey, we can almost pretty consistently like start a bit earlier and it should be fine. So I mean, like nothing was called, but for me again, watching the rest of the season, I distinctly remember that something I noticed. So that wasn't an anomaly in terms of how it was called, which again I'm fine with. I remember like. Two seasons ago when the pass interference, you know, after the Rams Super Bowl, you know, uh, the NFC Championship game against the Saints when, like, the whole the pass interference the call. The P.I. call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the like, the next season. Yeah, the missed P.I. call. Sorry. The next season, I think the way they approached pass interference was almost like they didn't call anything. And then every coach kept on challenging it. And that was just like a, this is how they did it the whole season, right? They just mm-hmm. were very lenient on pass interference. And so that's what you came to expect that season. So this season, that's what I came to expect. I just didn't expect anyone would be called for a false start in the way that they did it. So I mean, here's I, the thing with the... Like, I heard this on a different podcast where they talked about the actual rule in play and then the spirit of the rule, right? When we're watching this in real time, I don't think any viewer is discerning that the offensive lineman to the right of the center or to the left of the center, false started. Like, it just looks like the whole line moves at the same time and the D-line moves at the same time. 
but, but definitely does you can yeah. you can when you're watching it in slow-mo and nitpicking oh they moved like a fraction of a millisecond before the defense and that creates the advantage of course you're going to notice things like that so yeah. it if we're not seeing it and i know referees are trained to see all this stuff it's still so difficult to notice that in real time and you can call a game in slow motion fully viewing every little detail on the field but i think that defeats the the spirit of the rule I mean, for me, it was pretty obvious watching the game. I could tell. Maybe I've watched that much football. But, like, I could... I think if you watch enough football, you can tell. And it's like a seasoned eye watching in real time versus, you know, a normal person watching it in slow-mo. Like, these NFL referees have watched so much football, they should be able to call that stuff. And it's kind of like in basketball where some things just aren't called even though they should be. Right? Maybe a couple years ago... I think a foul can be called on every play in basketball. It's just people are taught, like... Don't exactly call all the contact i was exactly gonna say that because i remember chris paul on the old men of the three podcast which jj reddick was talking about you know when you're driving through contact and like that james harden thing he did in his mvp mm-hmm. seasons where like he just consistently like rip through and then yeah. go up and it'd be called a foul and like that could be called a foul or not be called a foul and consistently it was just called a foul up mm-hmm. until recently where they changed that rule right yep. so it's like same thing where like consistently just it's the same action over and over again by different teams it could be called a false start, but I mean, let's, I think that my, my bigger point of this game was I was just, I, I'm always mad when the consistency isn't there and it wasn't there for some, for most things that was up until the last two minutes and just when it wasn't, I was just really mad about that. But I mean, it is what it is, but I think yeah, speaking of Jalen Ramsey, you know, in that play that clearly was a face mask should have been called, yes. right? He got burned a couple of times. I think in my estimate, maybe five, six times. Mm-hmm. Which is not bad for a cornerback, which is actually really good. Hardest like after, position in football. Yeah, after watching the tape, like he played a really good game. There's only a couple times he got burned. One was the long touchdown. One was that play in the fourth quarter towards the end of the game when he let Jamar Chase explode for that 15, 20-yard gain. One was the last play of the game, or last Bengals offense play of the game, fourth and oh, one. What could have um, been? What could have been if the Bengals offensive line was you know competent? doing their job i don't know any anything but what they were doing i guess um so uh, <laughs> you know stafford had 0.5 more seconds on average in this game to throw than joe burrow and i know it's not gonna sound like a lot when you're talking about decimal values of seconds but that is so much more time to throw. i think also that's a bit of a misleading stat because i think stafford threw the ball really quickly today not today on in Saturday. the in the fourth quarter at least yeah but i just think in general like if you look at the number of hurries, quarterback pressures, and sacks, Stafford was pressured significantly less than Joe Burrow. I think Joe Burrow was sacked with 14 times on yeah. Sunday. So no, no, that's the whole point. Stafford just had more time. To even throw. if he, like, he even he, if he, he got he it more out time. quickly, he still had more exactly. time to throw. Yeah, so 1,000 percent. Like Joe Burrow held out to the ball longer, and when he did throw the ball, it was always really bad decisions because he was just trying to get the ball out quickly, mm-hmm. like when Patrick Mahomes throws the ball out, he, he has so much time to develop the play that when he throws the ball out to like any of his running backs that are in the flat, that they can just leak out for like a 10 yard game. But by the time Pat, uh, Joe Burrow throws the ball to his running backs, his running back is like still clearly in the backfield and the cornerback is like two yards behind, like two yards in front of him. So like, it's like a one yard gain, if anything, they had like, to use Mixon as an offensive lineman. With so they, much more. Yeah. Than- they didn't do any chipping. They didn't bring in use Uzoma to do any chipping either. It was just 
really, really frustrating. And then also was really frustrating is watching Eli Apple. Uh, I mean, it it was enjoyable in terms of I knew he would get roasted, and he did. We saw Michael Hardman saying, wish you were a better corner, bro, than the game touchdown wouldn't have been scored on you. Uh, I mean, Eli Mm -hmm. Apple deserves everything coming his way. He's one of the biggest trash talkers in the NFL, and he always thinks that his old fan bases hate him, and, I mean, they honestly do. Rightfully so. (laughs) Yeah, he's not not a good not a, a lot of I saw a lot of Eli Apple as the Pat Bev of the NFL tweets and let's no, just say Pat stop Bev, the disrespect at, to Pat he's Bev. He's actually good at defense. That's the whole point. Pat like, Bev Eli contributes Apple, yeah. instantly to winning. Like Eli Apple's attitude is just so bad. His and attitude, he's, he's also just not a good cover cornerback. Like he made one good tackle in that Chiefs game to prevent the Tyreek Hill touchdown before halftime. Got the biggest ego from that tackle and. Oh, trust me, the ego the ego is already there. No, I know, but even more, like trash-talking Tyreek Hill on Twitter and just escalating it to a whole new level, you know. I think it was just the NFL v. Eli Apple post-Super Bowl, and I loved it. I was there for every second of it. You know, he, he, he's been pretty active on Twitter after the loss. I was kind of surprised, but... You gotta take your, take your lickings. If you're, if you're dishing it out, you gotta take it, too. Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, halftime now, uh, yeah, halftime of the game, uh, the halftime show was really good. I enjoyed it. I thought that was one of the better halftime shows I've seen live and remembered. Uh, 2016, 2013 come to mind. 2007 comes to mind. I didn't really watch that, but that's a pretty legendary one. But this was really, really good. Obviously, great performances all around. Nice set. 50 Cent coming in, you know the same way he came in from and then the in the club music video Classic. was pretty crazy upside down eminem apparently sacrificing one of his songs for 50 cent because i think he mm-hmm. everyone else had two songs except for eminem because he had one song and then he gave after lose yourself or i guess you know 50 cent performing in the club before lose yourself but you know uh, that was pretty cool uh seeing still dre at the end was pretty cool um, you know, over I thought music, music wise, I thought it was my favorite halftime show. Like, in yeah, terms I think of, it was the I most enjoyed every single song that the artists yeah, performed for sure. And uh, Snoop Dogg was great. He got caught smoking weed before going on stage, and Twitter half of Twitter was just laughing, and the other half of Twitter was still laughing. And then there was like ten people that were like, "Oh my god." And it was like, yeah, dude, what do you expect? That's like the most on-brand thing. Like, that's the least surprising thing I've ever seen in my life. I but, expect nothing less from him. Yeah. Um, overall, pretty good halftime show. It was very, very, um, you know, I, I was enjoying it for sure. Was was making fried chicken during that during the halftime show, but, you know, was able to definitely catch all the performances. And someone else that was able to catch the performances was the Bengals kicker, Evan McPherson, cool. who is already a legend, right? Like, 100%. Bengals legend, statue outside Paul Brown Stadium already but <laughs> shooter yeah they call yeah. him shooter now yeah and like he's obviously had a great season rookie as well but he sat out and just watched the whole halftime show on the bench apparently he didn't go in the locker room but okay objectively of all the players to not go in the locker room he's the one that doesn't need to go in he, 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 Dude, did, you, did you hear what he said regarding that i didn't hear it was just 
I know what I have to do game prep yeah, wise. No. Nothing saying in that locker room is it's going to help change. Me out. Exactly. And this is a once in a lifetime chance. All his favorite artists were performing. So yeah, dude, like go and enjoy. What are they gonna say? Like, oh, Evan, make the kick. Like, oh wow, really? Did he? Did he not know that before going into the locker room? I mean, was he, he was automatic yeah. anyway. You know, he's walking to the locker room. Like, maybe, maybe Coach Taylor wants me to miss the kick. Uh, I gotta go in and check, uh, check in with him and see. You know, uh, do I want to make the kick? Like, no, dude. Of course, like exactly as you said. I, as he said, like he, uh, his job is just to make the kick. It's the most like punting. Even there's more nuance in punting than kicking, right? Like with kicking, you're, you you always are supposed to make the kick. There's no in between. Like in punting, you'd be like, oh yeah, you know, like in the first half we saw with coverage is like you know punt to the left side, whatever that may be. Evan McPherson does not need to be there, like 100%. I, I agree with his decision. It was never going to backfire, right? And even if it did, he shouldn't have gotten flack for it. Like, he's going to, if he continues this kicking pace, he's going to be one of the few kickers in the Hall of Fame. And this is going to be one of the stories they tell at his acceptance speech. I have a question about the halftime show, though. What's up? What do you value more, the music or the lights displays? Because I, I thought this year's music was. 100% on point. And that's one of the reasons why I think it was my favorite halftime show. But I was having this discussion with some friends and they said, oh, it was all right. I expected more from the production, more from the, the lights, yeah, visuals. exactly. No, I think, do you remember in 2016 when Beyonce was performing, at, or 2017 Super Bowl, when Beyonce was performing in Houston, right? And mm -hmm. they brought all those drones and stuff. That was pretty cool. But yeah. I think for me, the biggest difference, and I think you'll have to agree with me on this, and maybe this might have been, Something that people subconsciously didn't realize until now, but the Super Bowl took place in LA and it started at three thirty, so the halftime show was around five fifteen, five thirty. Yeah, it was it was still light outside. Whereas you can't most do Super much Bowls, with the lighting. yeah. Whereas most Super Bowls we've seen have been in outside stadiums, right, mm -hmm. and that's in the dark because they've yep. been in Miami and they've been in Tampa Bay, and even if they've been in indoor stadiums, right, like mm -hmm. NRG, they've still been night outside, right, yep. or you can see like it's night outside. Here you could visibly see the sunlight. And I think that definitely made a difference in terms of like we used to see like, you know, like a big concert is not usually during the day. It's like during the night and you have all these nice lights and stuff. But I think yeah. given the fact that it was still sunny outside, I think the set design really added to that in terms of like I couldn't have imagined that set design at night. It just would yeah. have seemed too weird with all the houses and stuff. But I think mm -hmm. the fact that it was still day definitely made a lot of sense. It kind yeah. of reminded me of like watching Friday again, like where like most of the movie takes place during the daytime. Right. Mm -hmm. And like. In, in LA, like similar vibes. And also, I think one I of the, the harder things about the set is that you are depicting, and shout out Nick Hill, one of my friends, he brought this up. He said, when you're depicting Compton, it's not going to be the most glamorous or glitzy depiction of a place. And given the construct of that and given the artists they brought to represent that, I thought it was damn good. Yeah, I was very happy with it. I was very satisfied. I just thought they should have put Ice Cube as well, but. Maybe there's some hidden beef that I didn't know about between, like, Ice Cube and some of the other artists performing or whatnot. But, like, yeah, I don't know. I was kind of confused. It would have been great to see them bring Ice Cube up. But it is what it is. But I think overall, great halftime show. And it pissed some people off. And that's how you know it was a good halftime show. So, Very much agree. All right. We're going to move on to just a last thing before we get to this extra point that we have, which is nuts. But, um... Someone on Twitter, Aditi, and I'm going to butcher this last name, Aditi Kinkabwala, she tweeted, there were four separate third and one and fourth and one situations in this game where the Bengals did not have their 225-pound Pro Bowl running back on the field, and they failed to convert every single one of those situations. That Joe Mixon did not get the ball 
and even one of those situations is very perplexing. And I fully agree. What the hell are you doing not force-feeding Joe Mixon in a goal-line situation type play? Like, any and-one play, you need your star running back. I don't care. Samaj P. Ryan. I don't care who it is. You don't give it to anybody but your Pro Bowl running back. Yeah, I think the Bengals lost this game in two ways. One was that, and the second, and it's still the biggest question mark to me, right? Second down and one, you like basically Joe Burrow essentially throws the ball away. He tries to take a deep shot. There's no deep mm-hmm. shot, right? Like that second and one was such a wasted opportunity. Just run the ball, right? Because on third and one, they ran the ball. They got stopped, right? And on fourth and one is that play that we all know happened where Aaron Donald came in and busted the play. So it's just like that second and one was such. Once the second one happened, I was like, "Oh, they're not gonna, they're not gonna convert. You're not gonna convert third and one, fourth and one with, with the game on the line with Aaron Donald sitting on the other side of the offensive line, right?" So yes. I knew right away that second and one was the biggest wasted opportunity, and I was I'm still confused. I don't understand. Like I I swear, watching that play, there was like T Higgins or somebody was open in the flat or, or open on a crossing route. Like somebody was open and Joe Mixon easily could have converted the first down and kept the drive going. But for some reason, he decided to take a deep shot on a play that wasn't even meant for a deep shot mm-hmm. because Jalen Ramsey was playing super off coverage mm-hmm. against Jamar Chase. On the fourth down play, it was, it, was, it was pretty tight press coverage. So Jamar Chase was able to beat Jalen Ramsey. Right and uh, screenshots of literally Jalen Ramsey on the ground, Jamar Chase wide open as Joe Burrow is getting sacked on the fourth down. But like, mm-hmm. I don't understand that play call. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I think having Joe Mixon in those scenarios would have helped out a lot, right? Because the option, like that third and one, they gave the ball to P Ryan. Like, why? It doesn't make going any back, sense. Going back to your second and one point, like, there's two factors you have to consider if you're Zach Taylor on that play. One, if the the deep shot looked bad to everybody watching that game. It is the only down in that series of downs. You have even the opportunity to afford something like that, though. Like, mm-hmm. if you're ex- if the defense is expecting you to be playing gold line type offense or just trying to pick up short yardage, that is a situation in which you can beat them with a sneak deep shot, whether it's down the middle. Um, one the situation on the has corners. to be right is what I'm saying. I don't, I don't no, that's think... what I'm saying. You have... Yeah. One, Ramsey not playing tight at the line on Chase. So it's going to make the deep shot harder. And mm-hmm. two, you have a, an all-time defensive player in Aaron Donald just on Joe Burrow's neck every single play. It's not going to be a great throw, which is why I think, honestly, he just had to throw it away at that point. Like, mm-hmm. it, it felt like a miscalculated call. I don't know if it's the wrong call. Like, given better protection... I don't know what the case is. I think maybe they could have afforded it, but given the personnel, the time, not the right play. Even on the third down, on the third and one play, it seemed like it could have been either a play action play or a read option play. And it was really weird that Joe Burrow gave the hand off because I felt like he definitely had Tyler Boyd coming on the side, like just easy available, like easily available for a quick one yard pass or like he mm-hmm. could run it himself. I don't know. Just the whole, the whole after that first down play, like the whole second, third and fourth down plays just didn't make any sense to me. And they had to go the, for on fourth down. Obviously I saw some people on, on, on like some podcasts clip being floated around where people were like, Oh yeah, this happens when like the nerds get into sports. I'm like, bro, you know, Zach Taylor was like actually a really good college football player. He won big 12 offensive player of the year. Like 
this isn't some random guy that's never played the game. Like, yeah. he knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's doing. He's been in these situations before. So, like, like what are you supposed to do? Kick it on, like, fourth and one with 49 seconds left when you have only one timeout? Like, that doesn't even, like, you want to lose Super Bowl? Yeah, sure, go ahead. But I'm, I digress. I think, I think there were several questionable decisions play calling wise in the fourth quarter, but that second and one is going to haunt Joe Burrow because I thought third and fourth just became so predictable after that. Yeah. Like they, they weren't going to pass the ball on third or fourth. Yeah. And then, so the extra point, you want to talk about this one? Yeah. Um, Van Jefferson receiver for the Rams um, played a good game overall. Um, ran routes. Well, caught a couple important balls. And just really stepped up after Robert Woods' injury, took on a bigger role in this offense. Um, after the game, he was talking to his daughter, and um, someone informed him that his wife was heading to the hospital to give birth. His wife said it actually already headed to the hospital, yeah. Right, and this is as he's on the field right after the Super Bowl, celebrating yeah. with his family. Yeah. And at that moment, he talked to his daughter told her very calmly you know we're having your brother like that's why mommy's got to go to the hospital and if you watch the nfl replay yeah. clip of it it's both his kids beautiful. keep on asking it's... like oh why do we got to go to the hospital and he's like oh because because he he kept on saying because because you finna have a brother yeah you finna have a brother now and i thought it was amazing like <laughs> yeah, given, the, given the situation and the emotions of just winning a super bowl to be that calm and to just leave your situation to go. I'm not I'm not giving him props for leaving to go be with his wife. I think that's the expectation. You have to do that. But I think the way he handled it for his kids was very nice. Yeah. I think I knew and most people knew because somebody tweeted it. It was Bode or somebody like, oh, yeah, like reports were like Van Jefferson's wife who, you know, was heading to the hospital that she's going to be induced to labor. And also before the game started, OBJ's partner also was potentially going to give birth during the Super Bowl as well. So that was a potential storyline to watch because she was also pregnant and, you mm-hmm. know, was close to giving birth. So I think we all knew, the rest of the world knew before Robert Woods. And obviously the end of the Super Bowl is crazy. So, uh, yeah, Van Jefferson, sorry. Uh, but the end of the Super Bowl is crazy and, like, some people on the field and whatnot. So I think it, it, it took, I feel like, a couple of minutes. You know, his family, his daughter and his son were on the field. He must have been wondering, like, you know, where is my wife? And like, I guess like the, not I guess, but the Rams PR person t- took all this time to find him and be like, oh yeah, bro, you got to go to the hospital now. But yeah, I think a couple hours later we saw pictures of Van Jefferson holding his son in the hospital. Very, very, you know, wholesome, very cute and glad he got to, that, that probably is the best, easily the best day of his life, you know, no doubt. Best day of his life. And I think just. A great capper on Super Bowl Sunday. Like usually, we're just left with this taste of, uh, oh, Brady won another one, or oh, is Mahomes the next goat? There was none of that. This is such a refreshing Super Bowl in that there were such unique storylines on both sides. There was no one I was actively rooting against. I thought I, whichever team won, I would have been really happy for them. And then you have a really nice family moment happened to someone who by all accounts seems like a really great dude so i thought it was a great way to end the super bowl great way to look ahead to next season i think that was a great sunday of football no 1000 percent agree i was gonna say i was trying to think you know the only storyline i can think of after this 
that was like uh, now a debating topic is like is Matt Stafford a Hall of Famer? But I mean, give him a couple more years. Like he needs a little more individual accolade collection before we can start talking Hall of Fame. And I know he has the numbers yards wise, but we have to account for the fact that the quarterbacks playing right now are in the most quarterback happy NFL constructs that we've ever seen. Like it's very offense favored. So we have to take that into account. But I, I think give him three, four more years of elite quarterback play and he'll be a lock. No, 1,000% agree. I think that's exactly what Mina Kaim said as well. It's like, just give him more time and then see what happens. Right. So, yeah. But great Super Bowl. Uh, now, next, next episode is going to be on to NFL, not NFL, NBA stuff. That's basically what the next few months of our <laughs> podcast lives will look like. And maybe we'll start getting more into some NHL stuff. Uh, and for sure, when, happening. when... I, we can say it's going to happen. It's not going to happen. Okay, fine. I will... I will say this right now, and you know, you can say whatever you want, but I will definitely try and bring some Formula One stuff on as the new season starts because I think it's a very interesting season. A lot of teams have released their their new liveries and also their new cars, and like the Williams car looks so much different compared to the Alpha Romeo car, which they kind of launched a fear, you know, yesterday slash today, and compared to like the Aston Martin car, they all look so different. So like, I'm very excited to see how these new new regulation changes are going to change at the playing field, hopefully even the playing field. I'm very excited to see what's going to happen. So This is the year I get into Formula 1. I kind of got into it last season, not yeah. fully. but this Drive to Survive coming first. out March 11th, baby, right before the season starts. You can watch that. You can get hyped. You can get understand what's going on. And, you know, maybe the 6 a.m. watch times aren't worth it, but I think they are. So Can we quickly talk about these golf holes in one that have been going on? I, I think... There's this tournament in Phoenix, if I'm not mistaken. The Waste and Management Opens, played at TPC Scottsdale. Scottsdale, sure. Um, two players have hit holes in ones. Two incredible crowd celebrations, known yeah. as the rowdiest hole in golf at this yeah, tournament. Yeah, so the way, the way this, this tournament, this course is built is it's the TPC Scottsdale has two different 18-hole courses, and this one is called the Stadium Course, and literally they built a stadium around one of the holes so most holes are, are pretty far there are some mm -hmm. par three holes and this par three holes 160 some odd yards and uh basically they built stands completely surrounding this whole stadium so that's, that's the end they built like a stadium stuff stands surrounding this hole specifically so it's like tens of thousands of fans are all sitting watching this one hole because it's a par three and just because of the, the way the hole is built it's really easy to get a hole in one comparatively to other holes I'm not saying it's easy at all but Compared to most of the other par three holes in this, you know, golf course and mid-year golf courses, it is more straightforward. And we saw two, one on Saturday, one on Sunday. And the Just one on Saturday... crowd celebrations. I think Brooks, Brooks Kepka was like, it actually feels like we're, we're playing a sport. Um, <laughs> golf needs more of this, man. They need, like, energy in the game. And obviously, like, I think fans do a good job when it's these big major tournaments and... It's the last hole. There's a potential playoff on the line. That's when the crowds really show up. But for the lay golf fan, like it just doesn't seem very exciting. Yeah. Like, unless you really appreciate the sport. I have been playing golf a lot more recently. I've been playing every weekend since like November, I'd say. And I still will almost never turn on the golf like 
not golf, channel. golf channel, but it's not the golf channel anymore. It's like ESPN plus, but I'll never turn on golf until like it's Sunday and like, it's interesting. But this, I actually tuned in because it's such an interesting tournament where, as you said, the crowd really plays a factor. Think about this. The crowd plays a factor in almost every single other sporting event, except for golf, because in golf, the crowd's supposed to be quiet, right? Yeah. Even in tennis, like, you're quiet in between points. But, like, if you watched the Australian Open this year, you know how rambunctious the crowd got when Nick Kyrgios was playing with Kokonakis, yeah. right, in the doubles matches. Like, it's pretty crazy. So, like, I think the one thing I didn't like, and this is just me personally, and I, I don't really care about it, but, like, when Sam Ryder hit the hole in one on Saturday on hole 16, like a bunch of people went crazy. Everyone did. They should have, you know, for good reason. But mm-hmm. then they started throwing their beer cans onto the green. It took like 15 minutes to clean that up. And it's just like, yeah. like, I mean, you don't need all that. I mean, some people were like, most people didn't care. Some people were like, Oh, like, you know, it's a, you know, blah, 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 blah. It is the waste management open. So it's kind of on brand, you know, to, <laughs> to clean, to clean stuff up. I thought that was pretty ironic. Um, but I don't personally care. It's just like, you know, I feel bad for the people, but like there's no reason to throw your beer can on on, on the green. I mean, TBH, most of them didn't even land on the green anyway, so what difference does it make? But overall, I don't even mind just like spraying it everywhere. Like, who cares about yeah, the fans next to you? It's just like, don't don't throw stuff onto the course. Yeah. But I mean, I overall, I was very, very happy with, I think it was a great tournament and hopefully it can, it can you know, golf can be like this more. But yeah, I like seeing clips of, Fans just going absolutely nuts for holes in ones. Just makes the sport more personable. But exactly. Yeah, football's done. We got no more football until the draft, I guess. Yeah, I mean, kind of crazy, honestly. A pretty crazy season. A really good season, I would have to say. I love this season. I, I think it was one of the more compelling like storyline seasons for just... There were so many teams you felt like had a valid shot at winning it all going into like week 16, 17. Yeah. I mean, I'm very happy that Mahomes or Brady didn't end up winning this one because that's how I felt like it from the beginning it might have been, you know? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think very happy with this one. So, overall, thanks for listening, y'all. It was a good NFL season. Now on to the NBA and hopefully Formula One. Maybe some tennis sprinkled in there as well, some other sports. Uh, as always, let us know what you want to listen to, and we'd be more than happy to cover that topic. Hopefully, y'all were able to listen to our previous episodes. We had a great episode with uh dr nira pandya so hopefully you guys could listen to that interview and get a little insight into sports medicine and some warriors talk about clay and wiseman i thought that was a great interview i wonder about you shree what do you think about the interview but he's a really knowledgeable guy um just very well articulated so yeah just take a listen whenever you have time yeah so and we should have said this at the end of the last interview. Would have been very on 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 point that one. But as always, stay safe and wash your hands. Wash your hands, people. Peace.